living through the last year, regardless of what one person's political stance or feelings are, a lot of the students are hurting, were hurting, are hurting, and they need space to have that conversation or not have the conversation. But acknowledging their grieving is important. Acknowledging that, you know, what they see every day is a part of their reality. All of those things matter. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa Donato, And I'm Marion Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a Penn Nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. On our next episode of Amplify Nursing, we talk with Dr. Dante Flanagan, a nurse anesthetist, mentor, and author. Dr. Flanagan is a driven advocate for students of color and those underrepresented, and looks to inspire and motivate them in all that he does. Through his foundation, Bigger Dreams, Better Tomorrows, and in his new memoir, Dream Big, he shares his experiences with others. Today, we talk with him about those dreams, his peripatetic path in the profession, and the importance of representation in healthcare. Dante, thank you so much for coming to speak with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a uh, pleasure when I was contacted about um, having this interview, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, we've been really looking forward to talking to you. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay. My name is Dante Flanagan. I'm a CRNA. I've been practicing for over 10 years. I also have my doctorate, so I'm um, doctorally prepared. I um, finished at Columbia in 2017 with my doctorate, but I finished anesthesia school about seven years before that. I currently practice in New Orleans, but I practice in um, New York, Atlanta, Louisiana, St. Thomas. I've been all over doing anesthesia from all parts of the um, country, it feels like. And then I've recently started doing more formal mentoring and Working with the nonprofit to just kind of expand and, and give back in a way that is sustainable for people of color, black people, and underrepresented uh, populations into the anesthesia field. So yeah, that's that's me in a small nutshell. So how did you end up working in the with the nonprofit and the diversity space? Mm-hmm. So I was I was out of school, I guess about five six years before I really I was really pulled into it. I went to school in Birmingham, went to undergrad in Atlanta at Emory, you know, a very well-known black city. I practiced there for all of my nursing. And then after anesthesia school, I came back and worked in Atlanta. And um, half of our anesthesia group were was black or minority. And so it, it was very diverse. And I felt that. And, you know, it was, a, it was a, I guess, looking back, it was a comfortable place to be. Subsequently, I moved to New York about five years after graduating, and it was there that things really, uh, my eyes kind of really got open more so. And there's one distinct story I talk about that that happened that kind of really made me want to lean into the practice and getting into diversity and, and mentoring. Um, I had a patient who was, I think, in her 80s or 90s, but she had had, let's say, 17, 18 procedures requiring anesthesia. And she said, I was the first black person who's ever put her to sleep. And that just kind of hit home and resonated with me because in the city, you know, the melting pot of America is New York. And to have someone 
at that time, having seen so many different procedures say she's never had anyone who looks like me put her to sleep, that was just eye-opening. And I knew the statistics. I was very aware of it. I knew I was always the one one and only in my class from you know undergrad through grad school in a number of different ways, or one of few. But it wasn't until then that I really kind of embraced that and kind of took it upon myself to try to do what I could to be a role model, to be a beacon, but also to help back and pull others up, but open doors for others along the way too. That's fantastic. And you wrote a book about it as well. Yeah. And I, um, last year I, I released it's, um, it's really the stories of my life and what have you gone through, but um, Dream Big is my memoir. And it really talks about all those experiences where I was coming from a, a lower, lower income family in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and, and all the experiences of getting to be what uh, we measure, what we call a success in America, so to speak. And I, I talk about the, uh, the ups and downs of, you know, what it's like going to clinicals and being looked at as the cleaning staff or the, um, the orderly or people asking, you know, what are you doing here? Or, you know, all the, all the microaggressions. I mean, now that we have the term microaggressions, but all those terms that they're and what it feels like always having to prove yourself in clinicals and, I talk about when I was arrested in anesthesia school and what that looked like and what was at stake and, you know, going through the justice system at that point in time and dealing with probation while while also having the added pressure of feeling like you can't fail because there's so much weight on you to succeed because your success means that people like you can do it. And the book's been great. I think it's such that a lot of people have related to it. Um, I think there's so many stories in there and experiences that um, resonate with people across the country. And it's been it's been doing very well. Looking back mm-hmm. as you were in school and things like that, who did you look to, to as a uh, influence of success? Most immediately, it was my my father and my grandfather. And it wasn't necessarily see them as a as a as a means of success, but it was a means of motivation. They always spoke highly of like my potential. And when I look back, those are those that's where I put my energy and and where I get my resolve from. As far as like knowing that I can, if I put my mind to it and put the energy to it, I can do it. Beyond that, I just tried to be a sponge to anyone who I felt had the right moral compass and the right values that led to their success. So I think that that was some, um, and I saw that in various mentors along the way, various, there was a couple people who stood out who looked like me who were more encouraging than I would say mentors, but they, they continue to speak into me to say, you, you have something that um, is going to carry you a long way and to lean into it and do, do great things. And I think the more you hear that, the more you believe it, that helped me continue to just keep pushing in. And when obstacles come up, I feel like I just lean into that idea that I know I can handle it. And others, I, I recognize other other people see things in me even before I can see it myself. I think about my grandmother who passed when I was 12. She was huge, but again, huge encourager. She, she's had visions of where I would be and what I would do before she passed. And she spoke that. And so, you, you know, those kind of stories sit with you. And when you live them out, I think that that. Um, puts a different kind of weight in you as far as faith goes and believing that what others see in you for yourself. It's really incredible the amount of influence that people that we look up to and care about can mm-hmm. really push us forward and give us 
you know, what we need that we don't necessarily recognize that we have. They recognize something special in us that we don't necessarily see in ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, I think it comes with definitely like lived experiences. And, you know, growing up, you, you I mean, it's, I think every teenage goes through this when you think you know it all. And I think that there's a piece that, you know, knowing where wisdom comes from and, and allowing that wisdom to to capture it as you can and live and take it to heart and live by it. It, it goes a long way. That's something I think about just now, trying to take it, just trying to appreciate and be grateful for when older generations speak to you and speak into you. Yeah, usually when it's coming from a good place, it's very powerful. So how do you utilize that when you're mentoring people now? <laughs> yeah, one of my um one of the things about our mentorship program, Dream Big Mentorship Program, is that one of the things I've always uh, stressed is just being authentic and being kind of an open resource for people. I think that knowledge is beneficial. And I think that we, in order to have that knowledge, we have to be transparent to some degree when we deal with um, our mentees and we talk to them. And so one of the things that I do is I understand that mistakes are going to be made. I, I try to be sure to give them the good and the bad of what's, go- what's at stake. I try not to sugarcoat per se, but I just want them to, to know you know, ultimate decisions are up to them and they have to be accountable. But I, I let them also that I see greatness in them. I see what they can be, but also I see if they're under excelling and not giving their all. And there's no, there's no excuses for that. And one of the things about that, like I just, like I spoke of earlier, being, being arrested while in anesthesia school, that's a very, I'm very transparent about that experience. Not as to say like, I made it so you can make it, but it does take away that excuse of how hard school is. When you hear that, that overarching, I, I call it a myth because it's people, people harp on it. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's not impossible because thousands of us have done it. But when you lean into it, I say, well, people have done it with children. People have done it with single mothers, single fathers. There's so many different obstacles people go through like you 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 have to look into yourself to do that but at the same time like i said i have to be transparent with them so that they understand that it's not i'm not just saying it just to be saying it i've lived it i talk about them tell tell the mentees about the mistakes i made along the way after school so that they don't have to go through the same thing what prompted you to start the dream big mentorship program Mm. yeah so there's a, a number of trailblazers ahead of me one of that you know most that's very notable right now, Lena Gould, who started the Diversity Nurse Anesthesia Mentorship Program. There's other other prominent figures in our in our field, but that's most recent that's very known. And I've sat on that board for that was my first venture into working into the diversity field of, of nurse anesthesia. And I think the program was was great. And but I felt that I needed something a little bit more that I could not that I could touch more people by doing other things. And or reach more people by doing other things. And I felt I saw other needs that necessarily didn't line up with the the vision and the um, the mission of the program. I just felt like a, another uh, mentorship program or any other helpful program needed to exist in order to just really touch all the facets of what was lacking inside of anesthesia programs to get students through successfully. Part of that was like touching, touching on the mental health component of what it's like going through school by yourself. We have this great, I say, pipeline of getting people into school. But what happens once you get into school? 
there has to be something more to help give you the support and the community that you need to help lift you up and to help carry you through because it is it is hard for anyone being on an island by themselves and a lot of times school school as a as a minority when you're one of the only people in your class can be hard or when you go into rural areas where you are the only black person in some leadership role or advanced practice role the things that we that are said and done it's 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 tough and I know that that support needs to be there. Part of that is creating a very strong mentorship relationship where there's accountability and there's this this de- not this dependency or this trust in the other person on the other side, but also there's this group community that needs to be built and that support that goes through where you're empowered month after month to keep going. But even beyond that, after we get people into school, the next step is you know how, once they get out of school and pass boards. How do they become a successful person as a professional? And that leads us to the other stuff we talk about as far as like leadership roles and how to get the right mentors to be faculty or to be at deans or directors. And, you know, that also leads it to how to be financially responsible. You know, there's so many things that come up that are different than we've ever experienced. A lot of us who our families didn't come from a certain level and we haven't had a have, we haven't had access to a 401k or we haven't had like ter- long-term disability. And these are things that are just new or investing and saving. And we go through all those conversations as well, as far as like, what, what do you worth? What's your value? That's all a piece of the mentoring. And I feel like that was necessary in order to, to build a strong next generation of successful nurse anesthetists. Yeah. It's like a, a yes. And yeah. on what, what's already going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, that's something I try to stress. It's never a, a knock on the other organizations that are there, but there's a, there is the yes and, you know, there's we still need the support and, and we still need other other programs and we still need more resources and we still need more representation in in the administrative role. We still need more faculty and all these things are barriers that have to be broken down. And so we have to keep doing more, unfortunately, but it is it's part of the process. So how do you think what do you think educators could do better in order to encourage more people of color to come into the profession? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> there's okay. There's a, the most first superficial thing is fix the marketing target people of color with, with genuine honesty and t- genuine intention. Uh, how often are programs showing up to, historically black colleges or uh, or known black high schools or, or or not even just black high schools, but high schools that are predominantly people of color. How often are they being seen? I know that that's a huge piece of the puzzle is showing up and being present with a very genuine heart. I, I, one of the things for myself personally, I never, I never thought I could go to an Ivy League school, not because I I didn't have the intellect, but I never saw someone from an Ivy League school in my immediate vicinity. And I know that that changes when you have someone show up on campus who says, hey, here is an opportunity for this profession. But not only, not only that, here's why this profession is so great. And give it, I mean, a lot of times, you know, nurse anesthesia is so hidden from most people and because we we're we're forgotten because we give the amnestic drugs that cause people to forget us but i think that would be a huge part that's the first piece i think is just one marketing and 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 reaching out to specifically reaching out and targeting to these people but also a lot of schools 
that have a lack of diversity don't have diverse people on their websites. And that's the first point of contact for many people applying to schools and universities. I hear people every day, if I don't, I don't apply to this school because I don't see anyone that looks like me in their program. No one wants to be the lone wolf intentionally <laughs> when you're already told that a program is going to be extremely stressful and hard. And that fear of being by yourself, it's a, it's an honest and genuine and real fear. On top of that, I think there's the idea of supporting students that come in so that the word of mouth goes onto the next cohort. If, if I'm a student and I'm in a program and the professors are supportive and they are um, I've, one quote from a survey we just had recently from our uh, student, our mentees, was that the these students, uh, specifically black students, were complimented or on their successes as much as others and peers, and that's recognized. They internalize that, and so in a place where so much of media and there's so much negativity out there, it, it helps to be in a safe space where you are supported and you can be yourself and you're not judged for that. Some of the research is out that shows that just how, you know, opening up to not feeling attacked or guilty for teaching styles or approaches, but also being open to receiving how students may feel or how they can be, how things can be better. There's, you know, when you dive into the specifics of the normalcy and the majority teaching as a minority person in the classroom, it's what is acceptable is acceptable for the majority, not the minority. So that when you are receiving information, it's taught as if you are one of the majority. And sometimes that comes out as gestures or frowns or anything else. And that's if we can recognize that or just acknowledge it in a safe space so that we understand like, oh, maybe this is causing a kind of a, um, barrier between me and this student. This is why I can't reach this student and I'm having struggles and why they're not doing as well in the classroom as they are in a clinical setting. Or, you know, there's just, there's so many different levels of what can, how we can improve. We have to be honest about it and do it in a non-threatening, non-judgmental way, but be honest that people are suffering and there's things that we can do to help ease that, that doesn't harm the quality of the program or the quality of the student that's admitted. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Like as an educator, you you know, I'm the program, one of the associate program director at Penn Mm -hmm. and Dr. Ben and I work really hard to try and build a really good cohort. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that a really good cohort to us is pretty diverse. So how do we faculty members <laughs> not under, not coming from, I'm not speaking for Dr. Ben, obviously, yeah, but yeah. from not coming from the same kind of experience, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. do I support minority students mm-hmm. in, in a way that's beneficial to them? I think acknowledging them goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Even if it's calling on them specifically in class, Asking for their perspective on things or give, asking them to answer a question, not in a <laughs> – what, so what we get so often is answering for the, the – you being the voice of the black community. Right. That actually causes more of a, a separation and barrier than it does bring the student into the program because the other students aren't asked the same thing about their community. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, like, and I think just acknowledging them and, and understanding it and, tre- and then letting them express – themselves 
in in the right way. And I, but I but I do believe it's easy to to cower away in the shadow and not be seen in order to fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. But I think pouring into them and just acknowledging them and, and letting them know when they do well and letting them know that you that you you know have their back when they're going through some things that opens a dialogue that sometimes they don't people don't feel safe discussing. But I think that's the one piece that you know it does take effort on both sides. But you know. One thing, you know, as, as educators, I think we we get into the space to change lives. And what other way to do that than by pouring into um, students, especially those that need it? I think sometimes there's this idea we have, again, these surveys we do just open up so much light to uh, the reality of what people are going through. And like I said, there's the living through the last year regardless of what one person's political stance or feelings are, a lot of the students are hurting, were hurting, are hurting, and they need space to have that conversation or not have the conversation. But acknowledging their grieving is important. Acknowledging that, you know, what they see every day is a part of their reality. All of those things matter. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially with this last year. Mm -hmm. It's been so difficult between the pandemic and the racial and social injustice Mm -hmm. that has been really just kind of bubbled over. And I can only imagine how difficult for it was for students starting a program, you know, that aren't, that are intense as anesthesia programs, Mm -hmm. moving away from their family and their support system into a place where they don't know anybody in the middle of all of this chaos. Yeah. It's 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 hard. I mean, and these are things that, they, that students, you know, it'd be great if they felt they had the support to, to talk about it, but they feel so threatened about getting kicked out of school or being seen as weak. And part of that is, you know, having someone who, who gets to a place where they've gone through it to be able to say, hey, no, this is what's going on so that um, it can be taken seriously. It's not lost on, for for instance, it's not lost on the students to, you know, when you step back and see the most recent mass shootings that you have 18 people now killed by uh, uh, an alleged shooter, both are white and they kill people and they are apprehended and walk away in cuffs versus the videos they're seeing of whether right or wrong, crime-wise, people are being sh- shot unarmed and killed as Black people. That's that's a very hard tension to to carry with you and not have a way to to express it or talk about it or feel safe to even say that in the classroom and to be like acknowledged like this is this is a hard time. And sometimes you know just sometimes just even somebody acknowledging that and saying look we'll be here with you to get through this it, it means a lot to a student. Yeah. It is. It's a lot to. It's a lot to see and mm-hmm. internalize. Mm-hmm. And like you said, to leave your entire support system where you could be venting that, mm. or at least going through it. But now you have you're totally focused. You have to quote unquote compartmentalize it. Which you know, if you don't have a moment to take to get to express it and go through that process, compartmentalize it only makes us explode later on. So considering the last year and mm-hmm. everything that's been going on. How do you find the energy to mentor and uplift other people when you yourself um, are, are facing all of these things also? Right, right. That's something that, you know, that is, that's very, 
important to me to try to find balance. One thing for myself, I try to, I'm lucky enough to have, I feel I try to protect my, my home. And that just goes to like my, my wife and we're expecting our first child, but that's all of those things help bring me to a, to a calm kind of Zen state. And I take, and I take time away. I have to, I step away from social media. I step away from the news. I, I just can't engage with everything that I see because I mentally can't do it and pour into others. I also try to pour into myself as much as I can when I can, but I, I know last year was tough. And I, I think um, as the year ended, I really became more intentional about the way I spent my time with mentees and the way I spent time trying to make an impact on someone's life. And I know that there, there comes a time where I can't do it myself. And that's when I started bringing in more mentors to the program. But also a piece of that equation is, is quote unquote, elevating myself to a place where I can do more for, I can use less energy to affect more people. And that's the next piece that we're, that I'm trying to move into now because it, it is, it's, it's a lot. And I still, I try to do my own meditation. Going to the gym helps, but I've been, because of the pandemic, all that stuff has been kind of, you know, uh, less and less. And so I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to things opening back up and getting back to a regular, a healthier routine. But I know if I, I can't pour into others, if I'm not full myself. So I have to continue trying to even, trying to improve upon my own knowledge base, my own skill sets, chasing my own dreams. Like I said, my book's dream big. So I still have things that I want to accomplish and, and how the legacy that I want to leave. And so I have to continue doing those things. But no, like you said, it's, it's, it's tough. But at the same time, being truthful and honest about that keeps the conversation going. So what, what are your visions for the future? What do you hope to accomplish by mentoring the next generation coming up? Mm-hmm. Mentoring the next generation, I really would love to, I, I want to mentor enough mentees that they start their own programs, high quality programs, and just continue leaving a legacy. I want it to be seen where mentoring becomes just second nature and everyone le- leads into paying it forward. I want to be, I want to be the, uh, a leader in the space of creating the programs that change our profession for the better. I, I want to be seen as uh, just be a legacy for diversity and inclusion, but, but more so just, just spending the time here trying to improve and better the opportunities for those that, didn't see a way out to begin with. And I think that does happen as being a mentor and being seen and being a, being um, present and all of those things matter. And I think the more that I am approachable, the more I, I am able to be contacted and contacted and spoke to and being a voice for those that are trying to get in and the more spirit I show and the more I say authenticity and, and just I say pure, devotion of what's going on and the passion behind it, I think that that definitely pushes the, changes the needle and pushes things forward. And that's really what I want to see change going forward. Where there's no excuses for the lack of diversity. I would love to take away all the excuses for lack of diversity. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So a few minutes ago, you, you were talking a little bit about things that you have, you know, that are coming up in the future. Is there any projects or anything that you can talk about? Yeah. I'm on a, we're rolled out the, the LEAP program just rolled out. Um, 
I'm on a uh, on the board for an organization that's going to be doing the mentoring for that piece. And that's a more structured, a separate mentorship program aside from what I'm doing, because these are students that are head, on their way into school, not actually doing the work to get in. They're actually setting up to go into programs. But there's also the mental health component that we just started out this past year where we have groups, support groups every month. And we have those in four nurse anesthesia programs now. And the goal is to continue expanding and doing that for more programs. And that's the that's that mental health piece that we know is necessary. Thirdly, we're working on creating a, a faculty fellowship program where we take practitioners and prep them to be professors. And that's something I'm really excited about working with uh, Dr. Vent on that as well. And that's one of our big projects we, we cannot wait to, to roll out. We know the impact of representation in the faculty space. We know the barriers to getting representation in the faculty space. And we're trying to, you know, combat both of those with uh, a structured platform. And, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing that come through. Yeah, other than that, I just think I just want to continue being out here. I do have a co- another two more books coming out this year, hopefully. Well, I'm going to do an audio book. And then I have another um, kind of uh, creative book that I'm coming out with at the by the end of the year. What's the creative book about? <laughs> it's going to be um, probably some coloring, anatomy and physiology. There will be a coloring book component to it. But some detailed anatomy and physiology and anesthetic, maybe word puzzling kind of thing. That sounds like fun for the anesthesia nerds in the group. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's set up to keep us busy in our um, downtime. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to t- talk to us. I really, really appreciate it. We're really excited to promote the work that you're doing because it's great work and it needs to be done. Thank you. Um, and we'll hope to stay in touch and catch up with you once you've launched all of your projects and see how you're doing. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Again, it's going to be a busy summer to get all these things rolled out, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Hello, Marion. Hello, Angela. How's it going? It's amazing. How are you? I am good, though. I am so jealous that you got to interview Dante and I did not. Your interview <laughs> with him was incredible. What an amazing person. And his story, gosh, I wanted to learn so much more. Yeah, he's a phenomenal guy. And I was so happy that we were able to do this. He's doing such amazing work within diversity and nurse anesthesia. And um, I really was so happy to be able to help to promote that and, and let everyone know what he's doing because it's so necessary. He's providing such a great mentorship program for students in CRNA programs that, it, it, I mean, everyone should really know about it. Yeah, I mean, his story about how the person that he put to sleep said to him that she had never had a person that looked like him put her to sleep before really was so powerful and speaks to the need of why we need more diversity everywhere, but especially in nursing. Right. I I completely agree, especially in nursing, right? Because I can't imagine what it must be like to, you know, go to the doctors, go to the hospital, have these procedures done and not see anybody at all who would represent me. Um, I can imagine that it feels very isolating and alone sometimes. And I think that 
the more we focus on that and bring that and encourage people from different uh, communities to come into that this space where they don't traditionally come, that it's only going to be a richer experience for our patients. I couldn't agree more. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa Donato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing, with special thanks to our Department of Information Technology Services for their assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing Podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can, please do us a solid and rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.